0: We are going to continue now in our series on the Holy Spirit. And last week, uh, Zach opened up God's Word and from 1 Corinthians twelve, and remind us that Paul was writing about two thousand years ago to this church in Corinth that was uh, divided. They were arrogant. They were one-upping each other on who had the best "quote unquote" spiritual gifts. And Paul wrote to them, saying, "No, you guys got it wrong. Don't you understand it? It's not about." who's following who, and who's got the best gift. It's about loving one another. It's about using all our different gifts together to build up. The unity is what matters. That love is what matters. And as we're going to look at today in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul particularly was trying to correct just one gift that he felt like they were were elevating to too high a position, the gift of tongues. And there's many spiritual gifts. And by that, I just mean gifts given by the Spirit. Some of them are very normal, the gift of administration, the gift of help, the gift of mercy, the gift of teaching. They, they feel normal and yet don't miss the Holy Spirits that work through them. Zach reminded us of that last week. But there are a couple of gifts that feel a little bit more supernatural. And tongues and prophecy are two of those that we're going to look at today where Paul gives us some, some teaching on this in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, the gifts were controversial back then 2,000 years ago. They're still controversial today. I don't know what your experience has been. Probably depends on your church background. Some of you might have very positive experiences with these things, some of you might have very negative experiences, some of you might have a mixture. Some of you here this morning have no idea what I'm talking about. If that's the case, you're probably at an advantage because you have a blank page. Uh, You don't have any prior experience to kind of cloud the picture. And so regardless of where we're at this morning, we just need to lean into what God's Word says. When I teach a, a course in a variety of places on how to study the Bible, one of the principles I talk about is text and framework. What I mean by that is that every one of us has a framework. A way of viewing the world, a way of organizing material, of of making sense of things. And that's not a bad thing. But here's the problem. Sometimes what we read in the Bible doesn't line up with our framework. Doesn't line up with our way of viewing the world. And when that happens, we have a choice. We can either change our framework to match what the Bible says, knowing it's God who's speaking to us. Or... We can try to cram the Bible and make it fit our framework. And I want us to invite us this morning to the former. To really say, God, would you help us see what your word says this morning and believe it, whatever it is. And to allow God's word and not our thoughts to be king in our lives. So let me pray and ask God to help us with that this morning. Father, thank you so much that you are a good God. You not only made us, but as we sang, you, you sent your son to live and die and be raised up to life, to adopt us into your family. And so we know you're good because you gave us your son. And so I pray now as we open your word, which you've also given to us, that we would also see your goodness to us, that you would help us to see exactly what you want us to see and hear exactly what you want us to hear. And Father, please help me to speak only what you want me to speak so we would all be built up for your glory. I pray us in your name. Amen. Well, as we dig into this topic and look at 1 Corinthians 14 this morning, I'm just going to tell you up front, we will not have time to cover everything. This morning, So I'm planning on, on putting some resources up on Slack, our online communication tool to, for, to, for follow-ups. So you can dig deeper, which I'd really strongly encourage you to do if you have more questions. Also, please come and talk to any of us on staff as leaders. We'd love to talk about this with you if you have more questions. But I'm hoping today we're going to get uh, just enough of an overview, enough of the, the major lines of where Paul is trying to, to draw them here that will be helpful for us And so to start, I'm actually going to read a short passage from 1 Thessalonians, the other spot where Paul kind of teaches on these gifts, but in a very succinct way, and I think gives us a framework that will help guide us through our time. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And I think here Paul gives in a very succinct form kind of the two ditches we are to avoid. On the one hand is the ditch of quenching the spirit or despising prophecy. He says, don't do that. On the other hand, there's the ditch of not testing things and just allowing anything to go. And so things get out of control. And there's an allowance for an evil. And Paul says, no, no, no. You can't quench, but you can't let it get out of control. Those are the two ditches we want to avoid. So that's, what, that's how we're going to walk through this more. Is We're going to say, well, there's, let's, how do we avoid these two ditches? So first, how do we avoid the ditch of quenching? Now, maybe when you hear that word quench, the first thing that comes in your mind is like, I'm so thirsty, I want to quench my thirst, right? So that, that's true. But the other usage of quench, which is how it's always used in the New Testament, is to deal with fire, and it's putting out fire. And that can be a, a positive or a negative thing. So you can have Jesus, he's described as one who is so gentle that he does not quench a smoldering wick. This image of someone who's, who's broken and weak and they're like a, a candle about to go out and Jesus does not quench them. Or you have the parable of the, the, the virgins that are waiting for the bride to come and half of them are foolish and they don't bring enough oil so their lamps are quenched. They go out. Showing they can go out intentionally or unintentionally. Or there's picking up the shield of faith with which to quench the darts, fiery darts, of the enemy. So quenching has to do with with putting out fire. And fire is a good image for the Holy Spirit. In fact, when the Holy Spirit first descended on the first believers to show this unique event, it says that he appeared like tongues of fire over the heads of the believers. Now, the thing with fire is fire is really, really good in a fireplace and really, really bad everywhere else, pretty much, right? Right? I mean, you can see that right now with what's happened in California. When fires get out of control, they damage and destroy. But if we were to look at what happened in California and say, that's it. No more fires ever allowed anywhere in the U.S., we'd actually be in a bad spot. Fire is actually a really good thing in the right boundaries. And yet sometimes, Paul says, people can be tempted to say, let's quench, let's put out the Holy Spirit. We've seen too many ways which people claiming to be using the Holy Spirit get out of control, so let's just shut the whole thing down. But Paul, when he's dealing with the Corinthians who are out of control, he doesn't just say, okay, guys, its, said just shut the whole thing down. We're going to go back to, to just sermons, just shut it all down. He says, no, I'm going to teach you how to use them well. Because the problem was not seeking spiritual gifts. The problem was a lack of maturity and a lack of love. That's why he spends the whole first chapter right before us, chapter 13, saying, let me tell you about love. Because if you're not pursuing love, none of the gifts will work well. That was the problem, was their arrogance, their pride, their selfishness and lack of love. It wasn't their desire to seek spiritual gifts. And so Paul says, I want to teach you how to use them well. Don't quench them. So quenching is a wrong ditch. What are some ways maybe we sometimes are tempted to quench the Spirit? I think the first one is that some people deny that the Holy Spirit continues to give gifts of prophecy in tongues. So in chapter 13, they, they point to this verse and say, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And it's true that Paul's talking here about when these gifts will pass away. He's telling the Corinthians, don't be arrogant about your gifts. Your gifts won't last forever. They'll end one day. But loving one another and loving God, that will never end. So focus on that. But the question is, when do they cease? Some people argue that, that this refers to when the Bible is completed, when the canon's completed, and that's the perfect revelation, they say. And so there's no longer any need for prophesying in part or, or tongues in part. Because we have the, the canon now, the, the Bible. But the problem with that is, as Paul goes on in this argument, he, he mentions in verse 12 of chapter 13, For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And that language of the then when the perfect comes, being face to face and known fully and being known, is language used of Jesus' return. So Paul's saying, look, these gifts are going to continue until Jesus returns. And the reason why is the gifts are the evidence that God's kingdom, that will one day come fully and perfectly, has broken into history already. We're already tasting some of the benefits of his kingdom, even as we look forward to its full and perfect arrival. So of course, the gifts are going to keep operating to keep pointing out, God's kingdom is here. It started it's breaking in. God is on the move. But there's another way we can, we can quench, we can, we can forbid. So look at verse 39 of chapter 14. He says, So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. See, some people I think can say, look, yeah, maybe these gifts continue, but they're really messy, they're, kind of, they're hard to get a handle on, sometimes they cause division. so let's practically just shut them down. They're, they're still technically there, but let's just practically shut them down. And I know of a church group that has that right on their website. We believe these gifts continue, but we do not practice them. They're just too divisive. And I get why they'd say that. I grew up in a church context where they were sometimes abused. I, I've seen the damage that happens there. But there's one really big problem. It's verse 39. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. I don't think you need a PhD in Bible to understand what this verse means, right? It's pretty clear. Paul says you can't forbid it. Now, it's got a right usage, which we'll talk about later, but he says you can't forbid it. It's a gift meant to build up the body. And you can't despise prophecy, which is the opposite of earnestly desiring it, right? He says you can't despise it. And again, I think we all know why we might despise it, right? May you hear enough quote-unquote prophecies that are clearly garbage and junk, and you're like, man, that whole prophecy stuff, that's just so silly. Like maybe you can think back with me to about seven years ago when someone prophesied that the rapture would happen on May 21st, 2011. I remember that date because we got married that day, my wife and I. <laughs> so it was a very, very impactful day, um, and I had three friends on campus that were also getting married that same day, crazy enough. And so we jokingly called ourselves the four couples of the apocalypse. But anyways, um, so now we, we joke to like, well, if the rapture happens, we'll have one wedding feast here and another one in heaven with Jesus. But like when you hear enough prophecies, prophecies like that, you kind of are like, well, those silly prophecies, and we can despise them, belittle them. And Paul says, don't do that. Even if you heard people quote-unquote using this gift and they use it poorly, don't despise. Don't belittle. It's a gift that builds up. Or maybe we're tempted to despise prophecy because we fear that it will compete with Scripture. Maybe you can see people done that. They've used it to trump Scripture. And I'll just say this really clearly. The Bible trumps any prophecy. And also, any true prophecy being inspired by the Holy Spirit, who inspired the Bible, will not contradict. The Holy Spirit is not schizophrenic, okay? He doesn't say one thing in the Word and then says another through prophecy. So that's just a very clear marker. In fact, in verse 37 in this chapter, Paul says, "...if anyone considers himself a prophet, he should acknowledge the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord." So Paul, an apostle who would write the New Testament, looks to the prophets in Corinth and says, "Your prophecies are under my authority." As an apostle who would write scripture, a clear delineation of authority. So, we, so that's 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 not the way it works. Prophecy does not trump scripture. Okay, God mostly speaks through the Bible, but He does sometimes speak through prophecy. And I think the last way, maybe the most common way, to quench the Holy Spirit is just through apathy. Like the foolish virgins who just didn't feed their their candles, their lamps enough oil. We just are apathetic. Paul says here, earnestly desire to prophesy. He doesn't say, well, maybe if they kind of come to you, I guess you could kind of use them maybe if you feel like it that day. He says, earnestly desire. The picture here is, I mean, with Christmas approaching, think of kids, right? When they find a toy that they like in some magazine that the evil people deliver to your house. And so then they're like, hey, check out this really cool toy, mom and dad. They're not going, well, if mom and dad ask me what I want for Christmas and I feel in the mood, maybe I'll point out to them I want this toy, right? No, no, no. They're like... Next day at supper, hey, uh, it'd be really cool to have a doll for Christmas. You know, like a week later, I was just at Susie's house. She had a really cool doll. I'd like one too for Christmas, right? They're like, they're eager for it. They desire it. They're asking for it, right? And Paul's saying that's how we need to be with spiritual gifts. And God gives a variety of gifts. But man, we need to be leaning in and saying, God, man, I want every gift you can give me to build up the body. If that's prophecy, then bring it. If that's tongues, then bring it. I want to have have gifts to serve the body. Ask God for it. God, would you give me gifts? Would you equip me to build up the body? And the reason why it takes so much time around the, the ditch of quenching is I think, if anything, this is the ditch that our church family is most likely to land in. Just be apathetic and miss this. But having said this, right, it's, it's, it's so important to see, like, not just in a minute how it needs to be used rightly, but just to see how special these gifts are at this point in redemptive history. That back in the day when Moses, and the exes, which we talked about, when Moses was around, there was a time period when Joshua, his assistant, was like, Moses, there's these other guys prophesying. you got to tell them to stop. And Moses goes, no, no, Joshua, you got it wrong. I wish that all God's people had prophesied. And then the prophet Joel, picking up this wish of Moses, but God, speaking through Joel, promises in the new covenant that something special will happen. And it shall come to pass afterwards. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. God's saying, once Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit gets poured out on everybody, male and Female, young, old, slave, free, everyone has the Holy Spirit. That wasn't a privilege before Jesus came. So, why, in light of this amazing privilege that Christ has bought for us, in light of how many times Paul says that the gifts are to build up the body, would we want to quench any of the gifts? We shouldn't now let's ask, how do we use them well? We'll talk about tongues and then prophecy. In verse 2 of chapter 14, Paul says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, for he utters mysteries in the Spirit. He's saying here, tongues is primarily a vertical thing. It's you speaking to God, not to people. And it's a language that's not understood. Maybe another earthly language, maybe a heavenly one. it's not understood, there's mysteries here, and Paul directly links it later in verses 14 and 15 with praying in the Spirit and praising God in the Spirit. Those are the two primary uses of tongues, individual prayer and worship. And Paul's very clear earlier at the end of chapter 12 with a series of rhetorical questions that not all will speak in tongues. This is not a gift for everyone, not everyone will get it. It's not a sign that you're more spiritual. It's not a sign you've had some second blessing. But it is a good gift. Paul, in fact, in verses 18, says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That just really stood out to me. Paul's saying, I speak in tongues more than all of you Corinthians. Corinthians. But almost never in church. I'd rather speak five words of my right mind. Paul saying tongues is primarily, not exclusively, but primarily a gift for private use. He explicitly says that in verses four and five The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. He's saying primarily use it privately because if you were to stand up and speak in tongues without interpretation, the church would not benefit. I mean, just imagine if someone stood up here and started speaking an unknown language to all of us and then sat down. It wouldn't benefit us. We'd have no idea what they're saying. They very well could be praising God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We would have no idea. It wouldn't build us up, says Paul. And furthermore, he says in verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? I mean, maybe you're an unbeliever here this morning. I mean, if you just heard a bunch of us start talking in random weird languages and there's no interpretation, I'm guessing you would think these people are crazy. I have entered the twilight zone. I mean, I remember working at a bank and having a coworker whose church did this. They encouraged everyone to speak in tongues. There was no interpretation. It was chaotic. It was out of order. And I felt another coworker went, visited his church, and came back. I asked, I asked her how, how it was on, mon, on Monday, and she said, They are weird. And Paul would agree. Paul would say, Everyone speaking, no interpretation is not appropriate. It doesn't build up. It doesn't help. It doesn't help an unbeliever say, wow, God's really good because they have no idea what you're saying. And so he gives very clear instructions on how to use it in verses 27 and 28, publicly that is. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. That's just really clear. Only one person at a time, two or three at most in a service, and actually you can't speak if there's not someone there to interpret. It's better to stay silent. And so Paul says, use the gift most of the time privately. It's a great gift. It's not bad. He says, I desire you guys to have it. But primarily, it's to be used in your own private life of worship. Not at Citigroup. Not on Sunday morning. Again, unless there's an interpretation. When there is an interpretation, it can be really, really good. So I was chatting with Ben about this this past week, this passage. And he shared a story with me of a church plant he was involved in. And on their first Sunday together, as the worship was finishing, someone just stood up unannounced And spoke out in tongues. No one was ready for this, but wisely the pastor opened up 1 Corinthians and said, This brother feels like God has given him a tongue. If that's true, then there should be someone here to interpret. So let's pray right now and ask God to give an interpretation. And following verse 13, the brother who spoke in a tongue prayed that he could interpret, and he did. He shared the interpretation. And it was a sweet message of encouragement, of building up at the start of this church plant. And later, Ben found out from another guy that he had the exact same interpretation was about to speak. And this other guy was a Ph.D., biblical scholar, like not an up-and-down emotional, very flat kind of personality. But even he had the same thing. Why? Because it was the Holy Spirit at work to build up and encourage the church at this unique moment. So, what does this mean practically? Practically. Well, if you think you have the gift of tongues, we would just encourage you, use it, primarily privately. Use it in your prayer life. Use it to encourage yourself to be built up, to sense God's presence and goodness. And if you sense a a call to share this publicly, we just ask, why don't you come to the elders and say, I think I have this gift. I think I sense God wanting me to use it sometimes publicly. And let's pray together and discern whether God will provide an interpreter for this gift. And maybe some of you don't have the gift or, or aren't sure if you have it. You can pray and ask God if you want to give you this gift. We can ask our Father. He might not give it. Not everyone will get it. But we can just lean in and say, God, if you want me to have this gift for my building up and maybe for the building up of the body, would you give it? So let's not forbid tongues in any way, but let's have it be in its right place so the body is built up. Now, what about Prophecy. Prophecy is supposed to be the opposite of tongues in a way. In verse 3, Paul says, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. It's Holy Spirit inspired speech meant to build up and encourage other believers. It's not the same, some people argue it's the same thing as teaching what I'm doing right now. It's not. Teaching is taking time to meditate on the word, study it dig into it, pull it together. Prophecy is not the same thing as teaching. It is a spontaneous revelation from the Holy Spirit. And see that in verse 30, where a revelation is made to one sitting. It's a spontaneous revelation the Holy Spirit brings. And it's meant to build up, and it's also meant to convict of sin. So hear the contrast with, with tongues, where Paul says in verse 24, but... If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That one of the roles of prophecy is actually the Holy Spirit reveals maybe sin issues to be exposed so someone can repent and trust in Christ. And I've actually seen this kind of at work. I was one time in seminary uh, borrowing a friend's car, and uh, went to like a house party. It was late at night and the headlights stopped working which means I should have left the car, right? Gotten a ride with someone back to my friend's house but instead being foolish we're like hey let's just have like one car drive ahead with the headlights on and I'll fall like closely behind and then we also decided to take all back roads with no streetlights, uh, just to be even more brilliant about it, right? Foolish yet God was sovereignly at work because he wanted us to meet someone through a car crash not my recommended evangelism strategy, Okay? Um, but I get into this car crash with someone turning left, not seeing me. So I'm there. My passenger friend is there. My other buddy driving the other car and his passenger We're all there, four of us, chatting with this woman. We've called the cops. We're waiting for them to come. And I'm praying, God, would you just give us an opportunity to share the gospel? Because every time I meet with someone, I'm just always praying that. God, maybe you'll open a door here. So I'm just praying. We're making a little small talk. And suddenly my friend looks at the woman and goes, you are in an abusive relationship and you believe you're cursed by God. And I'm just like, what the heck just happened? And my heart like stops. And I'm like, this is crazy. She is going to think we're insane. What was he doing? And all this goes through my brain in like half a second, right? And after this brief pause, the woman goes, how did you know? And we open up the Bible to Galatians 3 with her and walk her through how Jesus took the curse So anyone who trusts in him can receive the blessing of being adopted into his family. We got to share the gospel that day with her because the Holy Spirit revealed something to my friend about her life that opened the door for the proclamation of the gospel. Now my friend had been using the prophetic gift for long enough that he had learned to discern what seemed to be really of the Lord. That's why he felt free to go for it in that totally random situation. But God used it. And that's what Paul's talking about in verses 24 and 25. And yet the tough thing about prophecy and why it needs to be tested is because prophecy is God revealing something to someone. They have to speak what they sense, and it needs to be interpreted. And every part of that process other than the initial revelation could go faulty because of human beings being involved. So look at Acts 21 with me. I'll show you one story of this. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has made clear to him that he's going to suffer in Jerusalem. And on the way, he stops at Philip, one of the original deacons' houses. And we pick up the story in chapter 21, verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles non-Jews. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now there's several really interesting things about this example. First is that Agabus' prophecy is right and the details are wrong. When you continue to read the story, Paul goes to Jerusalem, but the Jews don't bind him, and they don't hand him over to the Romans, the Gentiles. And so what happens is he's there, and the Jews start a riot, and they're beating up Paul, trying to kill him, and the Romans come in, and they get the crowd off Paul and arrest Paul, partly for his protection, partly thinking that he's, in, he's instigated a riot. So Agabus probably had some sense from the Holy Spirit that Paul would be bound in Roman custody, maybe surrounded by Jews, the Jews somehow involved in it, but he actually gets some of the details wrong. Not only that, but when he shares the prophecy, there's no application in the prophecy. He just says, this is what's going to happen. The rest of the Christians that are with Paul interpret it as meaning Paul should not go to Jerusalem. But Paul's already convinced that God has called him to go to Jerusalem. So not only did they apply it wrong, but then the good thing, Paul tested this prophecy. He heard Agabus' words and said, I hear it, but I'm still going because I'm willing to die. If that's what's going to happen, that's okay. I'm not denying this won't happen, but this doesn't mean I shouldn't go. He helpfully tests the prophecy and discerns. See, the word for discern is, is a sifting Good grain from bad grain. You're teasing things out. It's not a complete rejection or all right, all wrong. It's sometimes a sifting. Some of it might be good, some of it might not be. So Paul invites this testing, discerning in the process. So look at how he gives the instructions in verses 29 to 32. He says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. He says the first step of the discernment process is actually within the person receiving the prophecy. They actually can be quiet. If they're talking and another one has a revelation, they can control themselves and sit down. If they sense something to speak, but already three prophecies have been spoken that day, they are to be quiet. That's why I think what he means when the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. The person receiving the prophecy is not out of control. They can subject that sense they have from inside their spirit to what God's word says. That's the first level of discernment. This helped me in an instance when I was pastoring Chicagoland area. I had a woman who who thought she had the gift of prophecy. And she said it was working out and that she would sit down at her computer and type out emails and God would take over and everything she wrote was from God and she had no control over herself. Right away I thought... This is strange. I've never heard anything like this in Scripture. But the contents of what she was writing were good in line with Scripture, just encouraging messages. So I told her, I said, I don't know if this is prophecy. I wouldn't use that term if I were you. I'd be really careful. Um, I think you should send them to me or someone else you trust to like, look them over before you blast them out to a bunch of friends, which she didn't do, which was another red flag. And then all of a sudden her, her prophecies switched to all of a sudden taking things that applied directly to Jesus and applying them to her. And right away, I was like, okay, that is the last straw. This is not in line with Scripture. I called her and was like, you are not gifted with prophecy. There's something wrong. You need to go get checked out by a doctor. And she did. And she had all kinds of things off. And when the doctors fixed that, she was back in her right mind and she saw, wow, I was way out of line. Right? This is why testing is good. And maybe you hear that story and say, well, if that could be unleashed if we open the door to prophecy, then let's keep that door shut. But Paul says, No. No, it's good. It builds up. People can learn and encourage. But he also says this in verse 29, when the prophets speak, let the others, that's the rest of the church, weigh what's being said. We all need to test things. If you hear something, you need to test it. It needs to be tested all the way through and discerned well. So let me share a a positive story of prophecy being used. Uh, In my church growing up, there was an older couple They're really known for their godly character. They're in the word daily, and they sensed that God had a word for me. They sat on it for two weeks, praying about it, looking at scripture, seeing, does this seem to fit what we know of Michael? And after two weeks, they approached him at the end of a service and said, we think God has something for us to share with you, and so he's going to call you into his kingdom for ministry. Now, unbeknownst to them, I'd been spending that week in prayer and fasting, asking God, God, I think you're calling me into ministry, are you? Help me discern this. And the words fit. But looking back, I loved how humble they were. They didn't come and say, thus says the Lord. They're humble. They said, we think. They, they sat on it for two weeks and prayed about it. They, they said, well, if we sense God's calling, us, calling Michael in the ministry, let's open up our Bible to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and read the qualifications for that and ask, do we see seeds of that in Michael's life? And if yes, then we can share it. If we don't see any evidence of it, we're not going to share it. They themselves were discerning and testing, right? And in the end, it led to building up. That's how it should work amongst us. This careful, humble discerning of God bringing things to mind. Now, here's the thing. I bet this gift has already been at work amongst us. We just haven't called it prophecy. Ever had a time where you're in the word, you're praying in the morning, and God just Burdens your heart to share something with someone. Maybe a a verse of scripture, maybe just the truth about who God is. And you send it to them via text, or you call them, and they say, you have no idea how crucial it was to hear that word right now. You're right, you didn't know the Holy Spirit in you. And he revealed it to you. That's prophecy. He revealed something to you you didn't know to share with someone for their building up. Maybe you've been in Citigroup and discussion's been going one way, it doesn't seem very helpful, and you just feel this burden to, to speak up and share something from the word that you're just, it's impressed on you, and you do, and all of a sudden the conversation changes gears, and it's good. Paul, I think, would call that prophecy. So let's pray for God to give this gift among us. So where do we start? I think just real practically, let's just pray that God would give us words to build up one another. That every time you drive here on Sunday morning, take the last five minutes of your car ride and say, God, if you want to, would you give me words this morning to build up my brothers and sisters? Every time you go to Citigroup, pray, God, would you give me words if you want to build up my brothers and sisters tonight? It doesn't matter if you're young or old in the faith, young or old in age, male or female. God can use all of us and that we come expecting God to work through us to build one another up. And let's just pray for that. And if you sense God putting scripture on your heart to share with someone, go ahead and share it. You can't go wrong with scripture, right? If you sense God giving you more specific words for people that are further out from scripture, that's when I would say you need to be more careful and discerning. If God puts on your heart to share with someone, I think you just need to hear today that God loves you and has adopted you into his family. I mean, go ahead and share that. If you sense God putting on your heart to call someone to change their jobs, you should probably slow down. It could be from God. But be careful. Open up your Bible. Wrestle with this. Invite other wise people to maybe help you pray through whether this is the right word and then say it humbly and invite the person receiving it to test it and not just receive it as the same thing as Scripture. And maybe you might feel that you're called to speak something for the whole church. If that happens, again, come to the elders and say, I think I've got a word for the church and allow us to pray with you and discern. If it should be spoken and when and how. But friends, we want to lean in to what God has for the church. Jesus died and rose again and sent his spirit to equip us with gifts, to build up the body, to be on mission. So let's not downplay any of them that God could use for good. But let's not elevate others above scripture or think we're better than others because we have certain gifts. No. Let's lean into what God has for us and say, God, I want to use whatever gifts you give me in love to build up the body. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who speaks and you've spoken through your words so clearly and primarily for us. But in your kindness, you sometimes give us other words for our building up. So I pray, Father, we would not be Afraid. We would not be arrogant, but with humble, loving hearts, that we would ask you, God, give us all the gifts corporately. Give us individually whatever gifts you desire, and help us to lean into them, to use them for the building up of the body for our good and your glory. Pray us in your name. Amen. Amen.